Get on up and get on down. It's time for another Wendell's World of Sports production. So let's get funky as this brother right here begins to rap. Before the start of another episode that will explode with strong opinions and entertainment, let me present another Wendell's World of Sports production that is heaven sent. Wendell's World in Sports, a sports talk podcast presented in audio and video form to perform to the scorn of the haters and entertainment creator like Pete Rock and C.L. Smooth as I groove to the flavor of the podcast being soulfully chocolate. So if you have plans to beat me, please just go ahead and stop it. The opposition, I'll lambaste them, then debase them, disgrace them. More futile than someone trying to guard Jason Tatum. Giving the competition hurts like Jalen. I'll be wailing and assailing any clown that tried to quote my show verbatim. If you try to test me, I'll be a global champion like the guilt Leo Messi. <laughs> Laughing at the notion that you thought taking me down would be a breeze like Drew? Not having a clue that you've come into a gunfight with a butter knife and rolling the dice? Just cost you your broadcasting life. Listen to my podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, or iHeart as I listen and tear apart the fabric of the conventional nonsensical, ripping to shreds the threads of stale, plain, tame, lame, flatline podcasts that are being left way behind. So take this loss to your podcasting boss because going up against me, the call of my fatal verbal blow would be best described by the legend, good old JR, Jib Ross. Wendell's World of Sports, download, subscribe, rate, review, most importantly, enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you could ever listen to. Sports fans of all ages, faces, and places from every stadium, arena, and auditorium all over the world. May I have your attention, please? Well, time's coming when we're going to have to ante up. Ante up and kick in like men. Like men! It is now time to bring to your listening ears, hearts, and minds a sports podcast named Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Tell him how you feel. A podcast that gives you strong, passionate, unapologetic, uncompromised thoughts and opinions about the everyday happenings in the NFL. Mahomes looking to flip, takes it in college football to the NBA in my Georgetown Hoyas. Giannis fires one down and an exclamation point for Milwaukee. To any other sporting news of the day. And now, introducing the man whose love of sports was born and bred on the greatest Muhammad Ali, Lim Baez, Magic Johnson, Bernard King, and Eric Dickerson, Wendell Wallace. Special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast. Special dedication for those who are subscribing to this podcast. Special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast. Thank you so doggone much. Welcome to Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of great things, a lot of wonderful things, a lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. For those who are listening on iHeart, Spotify, Amazon, iTunes, thank you so much. Anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcast. If you could do me this one favor, man, I would very much appreciate it. If you could download, if you could subscribe, if you could rate, if you could review the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to, 
Doggone it, I would very much appreciate it. And right around the bit, my YouTube episodes are coming, speaking about the pathetic, speaking about the embarrassing, speaking about the irrelevant Georgetown Hoyas basketball program and the NBA and the NFL. All that good stuff is coming. So I want to thank you so much. Man, where should we begin? Where do you want me to start? What do we got here? We've got some college football. We've got some NFL. We've got a lot of things that I want to get into. I want to start first with college football because on Monday, rumor has it there was a championship game between Georgia and Texas Christian University. Um, wow. Wow. I guess you could say there's a new sheriff in town. The new evil empire in the sport is officially now the Georgia Bulldogs. Did you see that game on Monday night between Georgia and TCU? That was the biggest route, embarrassment, the most one-sided destruction of his championship game. Uh, let me see. In, in all of team sports, I'm guessing probably since I'm going all the way back. Let me go all the way back to the 1940 NFL championship game between the Chicago Bears and then the Washington Redskins, where Chicago won that game 73 nothing. Georgia won by the won the championship by the biggest margin in the bowl game in a bowl game in football college football history. Are you serious? Yes, I am serious. The biggest score differential in a championship game in college since Nebraska beat up on Florida. Remember Tom Osborne's Florida team? Speaking of beating up on people, Lawrence Phillips was on that team, beat up on Florida in the 1996 Fiesta Bowl, 62-24, and Alabama beating Notre Dame 42-14 in the BCS championship game in 2013, those were the only ones that I could think of. Those are the only ones when I researched that came close in terms of one-sidedness, in terms of embarrassment, in terms of one team deserved to be on the field, the other team did not. So how big was this mismatch when you're speaking about Georgia, when you're speaking about TCU? Georgia had 32 for the game, the championship game, the championship game. This wasn't some... This wasn't some, you know, top-rated team going up a team from the SWAC or the MEAC. The championship game in college football between Georgia and TCU. How big of an embarrassment, how big of a one-sided demolishment was this game? Georgia had 32 first downs compared to TCU had nine. I'm quite sure Georgia could have added 50 first downs if they really wanted to. Georgia went 10 for 14 on third and fourth down convergence compared to 2 for 13 for TCU. Georgia had 589 total yards compared to TCU's 188. Georgia had 254 yards rushing, average almost 6 yards per carry compared to 36 yards rushing and 1.3 yards per carry for TCU. Georgia forced three first-half turnovers. Heisman Trophy finalist Matt, Matt Duggan was 14-22 for 152 yards and two interception, interceptions, and he was sacked five times. Georgia scored nine touchdowns and won by more than eight touchdowns. Michigan. I, I don't know if Michigan saw the writing on the wall. I, I, I don't know exactly what happened in terms of maybe Michigan was like, man, we ain't going to play those guys. We would rather lose to TCU than go ahead and face this Georgia squad. And it's interesting because now we're talking about Georgia at the back-to-back -back champions. Now, now we're speaking about a situation where it's like, man, I tell you what, man, Georgia this, Georgia that, Georgia is the new sheriff in town. Georgia is the new king of town. Georgia is the new dynasty in town. Georgia 
we're comparing dynasties and all those type of things. We're speaking about that now. But that was never echoed during the regular season with Georgia. Georgia wasn't blowing out anybody. Where did Georgia have this type of performance? Where did Georgia have this type of game? The only thing that came close to Georgia playing close to the way they played on Sun on a Monday night in that championship game in terms of domination, in terms of one-sidedness, was the game against Tennessee when Tennessee, the first uh, rankings for the uh, college football playoffs, where Tennessee coming off a victory a couple of weeks ago against uh, Alabama at the time, uh, was number one, and I think Georgia was number three or four, some nonsense like that. Number, you know, for the most part, they weren't number one. And, um, Georgia went up to, uh, Tennessee and kind of reminded everybody that Georgia's the best team in college football. But it was a situation where it was like, wait a minute now. Georgia might be the best team in college football. They're not the most dominant team. If someone would have told me they were going to play like this, if someone would have told you, they were going to play like this. We could have had a little bit more chatter leading up to the game in terms of how great is Georgia when you start comparing them to some of the all-time great dynasties. This one game, this one blowout, this one domination, this one-sided ass-whooping that Georgia gave TCU has already catapulted Georgia, winners of two straight championships, has already catapulted them into the discussion of what is going to be, what is the potential for Georgia to be one of the best dynasties of all time. After this game against TCU, where they won 65-7, to now we're speaking about Georgia being ranked, on the, or at least on the outskirts of being ranked, with some of the greatest dynasties of all time. When three, four weeks ago, you never would have got there. You never would have gone there. You would have said Georgia is great. You could have probably even said Georgia, you know, compared to Alabama or some of the other uh, elite squads or some of the elite college football programs going on right now. You you would have made the argument. You could have said that, you know, out of all of them, Georgia is the best team in college football right now. But the beatdown in the impressive fashion that they beat up on TCU has now moved them past so many roadblocks in terms of or or, or speed bumps. In terms of, hey man, let me, before we start talking about Georgia as one of the great dynasties in the sport, let's just slow down a little bit. No, that's the discussion now. How far can this go? Did you take a look at Georgia's schedule next season? How much longer can this go? How much more winning can they do? And all the experts and all the folks who, college, who uh, cover college football, they always preface by saying, well, you know, repeating is hard and winning a championship is hard and repeating is even harder. So to even think about Georgia doing this again three times in a row, it's almost heard of, it's almost unbeatable, this, that, the other. Man, it's, people are saying, well, why not? What's going to stop them? What's what's going to stop Georgia from going down that road again to Championshipville? Georgia has lost just one game in the last two years. Who was that? Who was that against? Exactly, SEC SEC Championship game in 2021, Alabama. They avenged that loss by beating Bama in the national championship game. They went undefeated this season with being only challenged once by Missouri. And when I say challenged, it was a situation where they had to wake up and play a little bit. Remember, I believe it was the fourth quarter where Georgia was down midway through and they were like, okay, time to get serious. Came back and won at Missouri. Dominant two-season stretch. Some of the most dominant uh, 
two season stretches in college football history. You speak speak about what Georgia is doing. Thirty two and one in their last thirty three games. In this century, this century, I know we're twenty something years into this century, but still, in the twentieth uh, and the twenty first century, Miami, Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, Florida State, and UFC have matched or surpassed that type of run. Only those squads. Those six teams have combined for 14 national championships since 2000, right? We remember the Pete Carroll mini-dynasty at the beginning of the century for USC. We speak about the Nick Saban dynasty at Alabama. We speak about the run that Kirby Smart had, excuse me, that uh, um, that uh, Dabo Sweeney had at Clemson. We, we speak about the Urban Meyer run at Ohio State, the Jimbo Fisher championship at Florida State. Georgia has won 14 straight games over Power 5 schools. 14 straight, including every program that has won a national championship since 2006 and others who have played in the title game and playoffs. Hello, the major college record with 29 wins over two seasons. There's 29-1. 12 of those would have come against ranked teams, six in the SEC title and playoff games. That's... uh. That's uh, that's something else, man. That's unbelievable. That is just, you know, what are you going to say about that? Where are we going to go with that? And, and, and did you see again? Did you see who they're playing next season? Who's stopping them? Who's slowing them down? Who's going to beat them? Now, now, I know, you know, recency bias. And the last thing that we saw was Georgia going up and down the field uh, against TCU in the way that they did it. And you take a look at the schedule next season for Georgia. You got UT Martin, you got Ball State, you got South Carolina, you got UAB at Auburn, Kentucky, at Vanderbilt, then the bye week, then the biggest cocktail party against Florida, Missouri, Old Miss, at Tennessee, and then at Georgia Tech. Who's going to knock them out of the playoffs? Who's going to who's gonna cause them to lose? And with Georgia coming back at the national champion, Georgia's going to have to lose twice. And you take a look, okay, maybe LSU in the SEC championship game. They have an up-and-rising type of program. Uh, surprising, Brian Kelly, his first year down at Baton Rouge. Maybe we don't know something in terms of right now of what's going to be happening in about 11 months or whatever when they play the SEC championship game, if that's possible. We don't know what's going to be happening with Alabama in terms of who are they, who's going to be the quarterback for that squad. Are they going to uh, keep in-house? The starting quarterback, or are they going to uh, go get a transfer? I mean, we don't know what's going to be happening with that squad in terms of them losing Will Anderson, in terms of them losing Bryce Young, in terms of them losing a lot of uh, talent. And already, we're speaking about an Alabama team this season that could have been, probably should have been on paper, one of the most dominant teams in the college football season. But because of penalties, because of undisciplined plays, um, because of lack of um, real talent, experienced talent at the wide receiver positions, didn't live up to expectations, even though losing on the last second to LSU and losing at the last second to uh, Tennessee definitely doesn't show signs that Alabama is leaking water enough to go down like the Titanic. But still, man, when you take a look at Georgia, who's going to stop the squad? Who's going to beat the squad? Who's going to contend with this squad? squad? Who's going to challenge the squad? UT Martin, Ball State. South Carolina, UAB, Auburn, Kentucky, Vanderbilt, Florida, Missouri, Old Miss, Tennessee, Georgia Tech. Pick a team that's going to be potential threats. 
Best case scenario, pick a team of the teams that Georgia is going to be playing in the regular season that could potentially be a, a threat. Put aside recency bias just for a quick second and take a look at the names of the teams that I just mentioned before. It ain't going to be UT Martin. It's not going to be Ball State. Maybe South Carolina, Spencer Rattler's coming back. Maybe, possibly, maybe. UAB isn't going to beat them. Auburn isn't going to beat them. Kentucky's not going to beat them. (laughs) Vanderbilt isn't going to beat them. Florida's not going to beat them. Missouri's not going to beat them. Old Miss ain't going to beat them. Maybe Tennessee at Tennessee. That's the best shot. Maybe that's the best chance. Maybe that's a situation where you're looking at a matchup between uh, the number one team in the country and maybe the number three or number four team in the country. And then that Van- and then that Georgia Tech. So they're not going to be losing any games. And then they come back and play in the championship game or they play in the playoff games. I mean, take a look who's going to be out there. Is Michigan going to... Uh, have the squad that's going to be back. They got Blake Corum coming back. They've got the quarterback coming back. But now you're situate. Now there's situations where it's like, okay, is Jim Harbaugh coming back? Is he going to take one of these jobs like the Indianapolis Colts or the Denver Broncos job or the Arizona Cardinals job? Lord knows he ain't going to be taking the Houston Texans. You would think. But I mean, there's now a situation where, okay, is Jim Harbaugh going to come back? That's to be determined. Ohio State is going to be looking good. You got Marvin Harrison Jr. coming back. You've got uh, that quarterback, the backup quarterback for C.J. Stroud in the limited time that he played. He looked pretty good. He looked like he knew that he was doing. I and mean, it might take him a few games to uh, really get it moving. And we're not going to be asking him to do the things that uh, C.J. Stroud has done in his uh, career at Ohio State, especially when you're speaking about uh, the last uh, uh, year that he played at Ohio State. But uh, Ohio State looks like a formidable team. Can they, will they, can they beat Georgia in a championship game? Now, anything can happen. They almost beat them um, in the semifinals, right? I mean, you can make the strong argument that if it wasn't for Marvin Harrison getting injured, that possibly Ohio State would have been the one that was beating up on TCU, and we wouldn't be having this discussion about how dominant and how incredible that Georgia is going to be moving down the line now. So I don't know. I don't know, but but now is a situation where it's like, look, man, you've got a you got a team in Georgia to as where we stand right now. I don't know how anyone is really going to beat them. I don't know how anybody as of right now is going to challenge them. And, and we've had this discussion before. I remember the Ohio State team under Urban Meyer when they won that championship game. They beat Alabama in the semifinals. I remember they lost to somebody in the regular season, one team from the uh, Big Ten. And they lost to them in the uh, regular season. And I think it was the year that uh, Beast, that uh, TCU and Baylor were fighting for the last uh, spot uh, to play in the uh, semifinals in the uh, college football tournament. And I think in the Big Ten championship game, Ohio State beat Wisconsin like, you know, but like be- they beat Wisconsin similar to the way. Georgia beat TCU, which enabled them to uh, get to the playoffs, and they were playing with Cardell Jones at quarterback, and then they beat Alabama, and then I believe, I think they beat Oregon or somebody to win the national championship, and everybody was sitting up there talking about, oh my goodness, this is unbelievable, because Ohio State was returning back all his players, and Braxton Miller, who was the quarterback, he was going to be moving the wide receiver, and they were going to be stacked, and they were going to be unbelievable, and they were going to be great, and they were going to be unbeaten, and this was going to be the start of the dynasty, and blah, 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 blah. 
It was the same type of reaction. It was the same type of storytelling. It was the same same type of storylines that people were talking about in terms of when Ohio State won that championship with Urban Meyer as the head coach. They came back and they played way below expectations, lost to uh, Michigan State, and uh, finished the year beating up on Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl. But for a team that was on the crusp of being a dynasty after beating Nick Saban in um, Alabama, and then I think it was Marcus Mariota, the Heisman Trophy winner in Oregon State, in the or excuse me, Oregon in the championship game. Oh my goodness gracious, Ohio State, Ohio State. So yeah, it's easy as of right now to get wrapped up in, man, let's take a look at some dynasties, right? Let, let, let's take a look and start ranking now. Let's start projecting because that's what you have to do. If you're, if you're going to start talking about Georgia and being champions dynasty-wise and putting them up against true dynasties, then you have to project because one in two championships in a row, while impressive, especially in the in the era of college football that we're speaking about today, the NIL, the transfer portal, Nick Saban with um, Alabama still rocking in a rolling. Even with all of those things going on, the, you know, the scholarship, um, uh, you know, the, the, the parody, which as far as scholarships are concerned and giving out and such, you know, it's, it's a lot harder to do what Georgia did than some of the other dynasties. And we weren't around for, for those who were up there talking about, you know, the, the dynasties of Notre Dame and Nuke Rotney and all these guys. Either those folks who have seen those teams play are dead or they're dead. So there can really be no comparison to say, I saw Notre Dame play in this era and I saw Georgia play and I've seen college football in this era compared to when college football was playing in the 40s or the 30s or the 50s or even the 60s. So I can go ahead and give a comparison. And I wouldn't trust Lee Corso anyway, even if he would come out here. Maybe he's the only one still living that could go ahead and give us some perspective on, you know, the teams of the 60s and the 50s compared to what's happening and what's going on today. Um, so, yeah, man, I mean, for, for Georgia and the dynasty talk that we're speaking about, it's got to be a situation where we've got to throw this out until the year 2025, maybe. 2026 if they win a championship next season 2023 come back and win it in 2024 then come talk to me then maybe possibly we could start speaking about dynasties but man how quickly we forget and i know historians are going to bring up look man you know what in terms of i'm not going to be sitting there talking about the oklahoma sooners from 1948 to 1958 led by bud wilkerson who won 11 consecutive big seven conference titles from 1948 to 1958 before winning his first two big eight conference crowns in 1959 i don't know about that stuff man i don't know about that era of oklahoma sooner football where Oklahoma won 11 straight conference titles, won 14 straight from 1946 to 1959 with three national championships. And of course, the 47-game winning streak, which is still a record from 1953 to 1957. And the fact that over the 11-year span, they went 107-8. and Hey, man, how are we going to compare that? How are we going to talk about that? How are we going to gauge that? That's almost like asking the question, say, man, who's the better basketball, excuse me, who's the better, yeah, who's the better basketball player? Jerry West or Dwayne Wade? Who's the better baseball player? Ted Williams or Mike Trout? Who's the better boxer? Ezra Charles or, uh, you know, Marvin Hagler? Or even, you know, who, who knows? 
How can we compare those eras? How can we compare those dynasties? And again, Oklahoma did this over an 11-year span. But then you take a look at what Georgia's going through. Then you take a look at the competition. Then you take a look at some of the rules. Then you take a look at all of the, you take a look at the environment of what Georgia's going through. And you say, okay, man, I, I can't go ahead and start to compare that kind of nonsense. I can't, how, I, how can you compare 107 and 8? And how can you compare 2022 and 23 to 2000, or excuse me, to, to, to 1948? Everyone that was watching that team in 1948 is dead. Sorry, y'all. Miami won five championships from 1983 to 2003. They had two dynasties. Two dynasties. Are we going to be talking about Georgia in that realm? Are we going to be speaking about Georgia in that comparison now? Are we going to start having these comparisons now? Because I know it's juicy. I know it's interesting. I know you want to have it. I know you want to go there. I know you want to discuss it in terms of, oh, man, you know, let's, 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 let's go ahead and project Georgia, best team in the country. So we're trying to say that Georgia winning two championships in a row, impressive. Of course it is. In this day and age, I, I explained the reasons why. But all of a sudden now, we're going to have this discussion and from the same sentence, from the same paragraph, from the same story, from the same similarities, from the same movie, we're going to start saying Georgia, Dynasty, Elite conf, elite team, best in college football, dynasty is built, dynasty is being built, dynasty is growing, dynasty will soon be here. All of a sudden now, we're going to put that conversation, we're going to put those platitudes, we're going to put those qualifications on a team and then say, okay, now what about Miami? Oh yeah, I think that, uh, let's compare those two. Let's compare those two franchises. Let's compare those two dynasties. Let's compare those two dominant teams in their era. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Miami had two, two dominant eras. Where are we going? What are we talking about here? Are we going to speak about the 1985-1992 Miami um, Hurricane team that went 88-8 and with three national titles, two Big East titles? In their first two seasons in the conference from 1991 to 92, are you going to speak about that team from 1985 to 1992, the Miami Hurricanes, where, one, where they won at least 10 games every year during that time and put out pro after pro after Hall of Famer after pro after all pro after pro bowler after significant uh, player from almost every position, maybe with the exception of quarterback? Are you going to be speaking? Are, are we ready to go there with Georgia? With the Miami dynasty stretching over almost somewhere around 20 years? 1985-1992, the Miami Hurricanes putting together a 29-game winning streak, which Alabama snapped in the school's five national title game appearances in seven years. Are we going to be speaking about that squad? Are we going to be speaking about the 2000 to 2003 Miami Hurricanes that was 46-4 and during that time winning a national title? And putting together a 34-game losing streak? Are we going to go there? In fact, really, when you think about that Miami team that won four straight Big East uh, titles in the National Conference, excuse me, the National Championship, it really should have been two. If it wasn't for a blown call, if it wasn't for a horrendous call, if it wasn't for a bad call, as far as pass interference is concerned, Miami would be sitting there with Larry Coker winning two national championship so a bad call all of a sudden now is going to allow georgia to move into the argument 
to move into the discussion. We're going to be speaking about that. We're going to be going with that. Now, Georgia lost a lot of players. I mean, what, what, one sign that Georgia is here to stay is the fact that, A, they lost a lot of players to the NFL draft last season, came back and were dominant, even though I think last year's uh, Georgia team was better, especially when you're speaking about defense. Now, also, you can sit there, and I'll get to Stetson Bennett in a second, but a lot of times the dynasties start to crumble or the dynasties start to, or, 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 the, or the dynasty's greatness begins to diminish when the quarterback leaves. In this case, Georgia is run by their defense. So this is not a situation where, oh my goodness, Stetson Bennett is leaving. What will that mean? It won't mean anything because guess what? Georgia, especially on defense, they're young, they're gifted, and they're talented. They ain't Dunning Hathaway's young, gifted, and black, but they're all those things and they can play some football. You got Brock Bowers. He, he might be the best player in college football, right up there with Marvin Harrison coming back and doing the thing. They got a capable quarterback who's going to be, who's been in the, in the, in the system. Kirby Smart didn't win a championship. This was really, um, something different for Kirby Smart in terms of Kirby wasn't a guy who was going to be throwing the ball all around the yard. You know, he wasn't going to be doing five wide receiver sets and trying to, you know, win football games by putting up numbers like it was uh, Big 12 basketball. This was a situation where Kirby made his bones. Kirby made his greatness. Kirby built this machine. Kirby built this. You want to call it dynasty? Let's call it dynasty. Kirby built the most elite college football team in America as of today through defense. People aren't going to Kirby Smart. Top five players, five-star players, highly ranked players. They're not going to Kirby Smart. They're not going to Georgia because of his offensive, uh, you know, because of his offensive uh, reputation. He's getting defensive guys. He's getting the best high school safeties and linebackers and defensive linemen and defensive tackles to go to uh, Georgia. And that's how they put that squad together. Now, Stetson Bennett came around. But, you know, name me somebody on that offense, as far as the skill position is concerned, is going to be a first-round draft pick. Name me a skill position at Georgia right now, outside of Brock Bowers, who's going to be a guy that's going to be a first-round draft pick and an impact player in the NFL, or at least have that potential, outside of uh, Brock Bowers. Nobody. How did Georgia do their thing? How did Georgia get their groove going? How did Georgia win Stella and get their groove back? They did it by defense. So this is one of the reasons why you can say, hey, man, it's not about replacing or it's not about one player being so great and being so dominant that when he leaves, how are you going to fill that humongous hole that has been left, namely by the quarterback? This is in that situation. And, uh, you know, Georgia's going to be here for a while. But again, I'm going to just just for a quick second, just for a moment. Because, again, I, I know that we're all caught up in what happened on Monday in the championship game, 65-7. to 7. Hey, look, man, I mean, I, I, I'm speaking right now. Let, let me let me get a little bit real with uh, my main man, Eric G., and uh, Coach Pat Jones, who do, who, uh, do a show on Tulsa's Sports Animal from 11 to 2 Central Standard Time. Hey, man, I know that y'all repping the Big 12, and I know that, you know, you be speaking about Oklahoma and Oklahoma State and those guys. Man, TCU and the Big 12 should be banned for life after that performance. I mean, come on, man. You're a Power 5 conference. It shouldn't be that much of a disparity. That was embarrassing. That wasn't, that was embarrassing, not just for TCU, but for the entire Big 12 conference. Because if that's what the Big 12, if that's the best team that the Big 12 can produce, 
then maybe we should start talking about the Power Four conferences. Maybe this is a situation where, you know what, Oklahoma and Texas, go ahead and leave, and maybe we should just dissolve the Big 12. Because Kansas State, because TCU, because all the teams that are going to be left over, or teams that are vying for top 20 status, top 15 status, top 10 status, I mean, that's, that's out the window, man. That's done. TCU and the Big 12, the way they're represented, I mean, they should be on the same level as the AAC. That was embarrassing. And Sonny Dice talking about we'll be better, we'll be back. TCU ain't going to be back. I don't want to see anybody. This is not a situation where the winner of the Big 12 should ever be considered an automatic to make it to the playoffs. I mean, you take a look at the Big 12, yes. You take a look at the SEC, of course. But not so in the ACC. Now, maybe with the rise of USC, even though Lincoln Riley is bringing his all-office no-defense to Southern California, it's exciting, it's sexy, it's entertaining. But how substantive is it when you're speaking about going up against Georgia, when you're speaking about going against the SEC squads, when you're speaking about going up against the Ohio States, when you're speaking about going up against the elite? Yeah, USC is going to be bringing back their Heisman Trophy winner, but goddamn, they can't stop anybody. So maybe with that situation, of course, we all know that USC and UCLA are going to the uh, Big Ten sooner rather than later. But still, this is a situation where, look, man, for the Big 12, you're done. I don't want to hear anything about the Big 12. I don't give a damn about Kansas State. It's regional, man. Eric, is regional. It's regional. That's embarrassing that, that, that a Power 5 conference that had a team that was undefeated in the regular season, like TCU. Yeah, I understand going into the season that no one expected them to do anything. Yes, I understand that they were 5-7 and seven last season. Yes, I understand that Sonny Dykes was a new coach. Yes, I understand all those things. But hey, look, man, if you're going to go 12-0, and 0, if you're going to go undefeated regular season in the Big 12 or a major uh, college conference, a Power 5 conference, and then beat Michigan, you got to do better than that, man. You got to do better than that. Because name me a quote-unquote underdog squad in the SEC that would have gone undefeated, regardless of what their preseason expectations would have been, that would have been so lightly regarded than TCU playing in a major five conference. Eric, that's embarrassing. Doing that show in Oklahoma, you and Coach, come on, man, that's embarrassing. That's dispiriting. How how in the world can there be that much of a talent difference? What does that say about Texas? What does that say about Oklahoma? What does that say? Now, again, those guys are leaving, so it really doesn't say anything because those guys already have one foot out the door. But moving forward, I mean, we, you're trying to get Cincinnati or you're trying to get BYU, you're trying to get some other teams. I don't know if you don't know if it's official that you do have those teams going to the Big 12, but what does it mean? Welcome to the Mountain West of the uh, Midwest. Welcome to the MAC conference of the Midwest. I mean, where, where are we going with this? Why do we even care? After performance like that, the way that those guys looked intimidated, the way those guys looked overwhelmed, the, guy, the way those guys looked like they didn't belong, it's an embarrassment. It is uh, pretty embarrassing for not just TCU, but also for the, uh, for the Big 12 conference. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. I want to end college football with this. Because, man, I tell you, I, I don't know why. I have no idea why announcers want to be comedians or why they think that they're the reason why there's people are still tuning in to watch a blowout. 
So let's go ahead and not talk about the game. Let's go ahead and talk about everything else. Let's go ahead and talk about the storylines running around the game and not really concentrate on the game despite the fact that it's a blowout, despite the fact that there's players on the field that they don't know anything about, despite all those things. Let's go ahead and assume that the viewer is more interested in listening to us tell boring stories or, uh, you know, tell jokes than actually watch the game. So Fowler and Herb Street, I mean, two guys who are highly qualified to do what they're doing, extremely talented, very good guys. I have nothing uh, against any of those, uh, b- both those guys calling the game. I think they do a fine job. But man, the game got out of hand and it was Stetson Bennett, Stetson Bennett, Stetson Bennett, Stetson Bennett. It's like, come on, man, geez. Really? Are we going to go there? And of course, now the, um, now, now, now the talk, the, the scuttlebutt and, Everything is on Stetson Bennett. Stetson Bennett. Stetson Bennett being the best player in Georgia football history. Stetson Bennett, a man who went 29 and 3 as a starting quarterback for Georgia. Stetson Bennett, unbelievable. Ragnar Riches couldn't, you know, walked on Georgia as a freshman and way back in what, the 18th century or in, in way back in the day or 20, I don't know, when was that? 20, 20 teens or some nonsense like that. And, couldn't make the squad, so he went to a junior college and played, then he walked back on at Georgia, and oh my goodness, this is unbelievable, and no one thought that he could play, and even his coaches didn't think that he could play, and they kept over-recruiting him because they needed a quarterback, and lo and behold, this guy who was a walk-on, lo and behold, this guy, the coaches no one wanted, this, this guy was a modern-day Rudy, right, except he actually got in there and played, and when he played, he was exceptional, oh my goodness gracious, this is unbelievable, this is fantastic, what an unbelievable story, and of course, wrapped up in that in, in those discussion, wrapped up in that bowing down, wrapped up in the dancing around with the uh, story and, and being all giddy about it and making it sound all attractive and sexy and wonderful and all those type of things. Hollywood couldn't write a movie and have people believe it. This was so unbelievable what happened to Stetson Bennett. Does anybody want to see the huge elephant in the room? The man was, the man was a man. The man was 25 years old. Stop. Stop! Literally, when you're speaking about boys against men, or men against boys, whatever, Stetson Bennett was a man playing against boys. Stetson Bennett was a 25-year-old man going up against 18- and 19-year-old kids, teenagers. Stop! Stop! Great story, wonderful story. Yeah, it was cool. It wasn't bad. Hey, you know, speaks about him as a human being to not give up and to persevere and Seems like he has character and all these type of things and no give up attitude and belief in himself. Man, that's awesome. That's great. Good for him. And congratulations for the two championships that he won. Awesome. Enjoy all the perks. Enjoy all the fame. Enjoy the long-lasting legacy that you'll have as a quarterback for Georgia and going down as one of the best players for Georgia. Even though the uh, Jigaboo House Negro that played for uh, Georgia back in the uh, 80s, you know, um, Herschel Walker, that coon, that uh, house Negro was uh, a better football player than Stetson Bennett was and uh, was a better football player in college than Stetson Bennett was and is still going down as the best player in Georgia history. So that was that that was a joke. That was ridiculous. You know, just because the Jigaboo from Georgia known as Herschel Walker, that sellout, that 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 coon, that house Negro, that 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 clown um, uh, embarrassed himself recently. He still was a great player. 
Hey, man, just because OJ killed somebody, that doesn't mean that all of a sudden now you're going to say that Reggie Bush is... Well, you can't say Reggie Bush. Just because OJ killed a couple of white folks, didn't that, that doesn't diminish the fact that he was the best running back or the best player, one of the best players in USC history. I mean, don't be talking about Matt Liner, this, that, and the other, and then talking about he's better than OJ just because you're still mad that black folks got an OJ off from killing two folks. No, no, ain't like that at all. So, yeah, man, I don't want to hear this nonsense about Stetson Bennett. And then it's like, well, you know, do you think Stetson Bennett? I think Stetson Bennett could, uh, I think Stetson Bennett could, could, could play in the NFL. You know, I think Stetson Bennett is the guy because, you know, of, of you know, they, they start listing all of his um, strengths as a college football player. Stetson Bennett, again, is 25 years old. 25. What can you do? What can Stetson Bennett do now in terms of being the big man on campus as a 25-year-old. What are you going to do, man? You can't date nobody. Man, you're 25 years old. I don't want to see you up there having a girlfriend who's like 18 or 19 or 21. You are a grown man. You're halfway to 30, Jack. And for those of my age, or for those who are, oh, I don't know, around that age of 30 plus, think about the difference in terms of maturity. Think about the difference in terms of just world perspective. Just think about the difference that we were when we were 25 compared to when we were 18, 19, 20, 21, even 22. Hey, man, there ain't should be no nobody should be living a college life when you're 25 years old, man. College life is for like 18 to 23. You're really pushing it. You're really pushing it if you hit 23 and a half or 24. But once you hit 24 and you're still living like a college student, man, come on now. Come on, and this guy is 25? And we're speaking about Stetson Bennett having the best two years of his career when he was 24 and 25 years old? Come on, man. And then we're going to equate that to say, yeah, I think that he could stick with the team in the NFL. Come on, man. 25 years old. 25. I, I can't say that enough. The man is 25 years old. Patrick Mahomes is 27. Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen are 26. Next season, Stetson Bennett is going to be 26 years old. Josh Allen, one of the best quarterbacks, one of the faces of the, of the league. Lamar Jackson, MVP. Joe Burrow, one of the elite quarterbacks already. They're one year older than he is. Justin Herbert is 24. Tua Tungavailoa is 24. Jalen Hurts, Matt Jones, Trevor Lawrence, they're 23. Come on, man, stop with this. Oh, my goodness, Stetson Bennett. Look, I, again, great story. Wonderful story. Awesome. Fantastic. But goodness gracious, do you really think we're going to equate Stetson Bennett beating TCU to say, I think that he can play in the NFL or I think that he can get a job in the NFL? What NFL team is going to invest a draft pick and a backup quarterback who's 25 years old with serious limitations. He ain't getting any better. Why would you not pick a strong-armed um, quarterback with the tools to possibly maybe be a, a franchise quarterback, possibly maybe be at least a really good uh, uh, quarterback in the NFL or backup quarterback in the NFL when they're 20, 21 coming into the draft? There, there's, there's at least the Unknown expectation. At least there's the, well, he's got this skill, he's got that skill, and there's still some room for growth. There's still room for, for improvement. We can work with him on that. Where is the growth in Stetson Bennett? How much stronger is his arm going to get? How much bigger and stronger is he going to get as a person? It ain't happening. 
Greg McElroy tried that nonsense years ago when he was the quarterback for Alabama, led him to a championship, and he was drafted by the Jets. At least then he was like 21, 22 years old. Stenson Bennett is 25. Ain't nobody drafting him. Stop. Just stop. 25 years old. Man, still in college, still doing a college life, 25 years old. And when I say doing a college life, playing football. I mean, we haven't seen anything like this since Chris Winkie when he won the Heisman Trophy when he was 29. Or Brandon Whedon when he was playing quarterback for uh, Oklahoma State in his late 20s. Come on, man. Guys going up against kids. And again, I mean, how can you, where can you, how can you enjoy your success for real? If Stetson Bennett was 21, 22, even 23, man, I'd be mowing through those Georgian college, uh, those 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 Georgia uh, uh, co-eds like it was going out of style. But the man is 25 years old. You gotta leave them. You gotta leave them girls alone, man. You're 25. 25 year olds don't be messing with 21, 22 year olds unless they're I don't know got a recording contract with RCA and they're banging out platinum hits. Or maybe a movie star or some nonsense like that. But come on, man. 25 years old. You ain't going to be messing with anybody under the age of 21. Can you mess with anybody under the age of 21? Come on, Stetson. That's, I mean, you know, I don't know. I just, mm. Stetson Bennett this, Stetson Bennett that. Get out of town, man. Get out of town. All right. College football is now done. Uh, we're going to put that to bed. Um, we got some NFL talk to discuss. We got some things in the NFL that we're going to discuss, right? But before we do, remember the um last podcast I did that only went for an hour? I'm thinking I'm going to blow past that uh, time frame. But um, I talked about DeMar Hamlin, and I talked about, okay, when is it going to be okay? When is it going to be kosher? When is it going to be correct to talk about DeMar Hamlin and then get back into sports in terms of, I don't want to say like nothing happened, but you know, great news. DeMar Hamlin, uh, latest reports talking about that. He's out of the hospital, this, that, and the other. When do we shift the narrative? When, when do we shift the conversation to, Oh my goodness, is he going to live? This is terrible. This is horrible. All of the things that we were talking about one week ago or a week and a half ago, where do we make that? When, when do we then get back to, who's going to be winning football games, the importance of winning playoff games. When do we get back to the silliness of talking about sports in general like it's real-life serious stuff? When do we get back into that? I guess the answer is going to be this week, right? Because my podcast is basically centered around that. But I want to talk about uh, DeMar Hamlin just a little bit, give my thoughts and opinions, kind of put a bow on the, um, I don't want to say the uh, sweet, sentimental, um, situation concerning that in terms of, oh, you know, this is prayers and all this kind of stuff, even though we still need some. I'm going to get away from that. I'm just going to speak about uh, Hamlin moving forward, you know, the attaboys and all those good things, and then uh, get into some uh, playoffs, right? Because aren't we here to talk about the playoffs as well as speak about uh, the regular season because it's now over. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. Man, it's time for me to boogie. Man, it's time for me to play some good music. Man, it's time for me to just kind of groove a little bit. What should what should we groove with, man? Let me go out and ask some folks out there in the DMV. What should I do? What should I groove with? Let me go ahead and ask my friends out there in Los Angeles, California. What do I need to groove with? Let me ask some folks out there. What do I need to groove with? You know what? For the answer, I'm not going to go to the outskirts. I'm not going to go to Appalachia. I'm not going to go to the suburbs. I'm not going to go to the rich side of town. 
You know where I'm going to go to get my answer? I'm going to go down to the ghetto. Wendell's World of Sports. Yes, this is the ghetto, y'all. Showing up now. Genius, Donny Hathaway. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. I, I wanted to uh, mention the Rolling Stones had their top 200. Very briefly, I want to uh, talk about this because of outside of criminal profiling and sports and some other things, music is what uh, is some of the things that I, that I have to live. Can't live without my music. Can't live without my documentaries about uh, crime and justice shows, serial killers. Can't live without my Georgetown Hoyas. Can't live without my NBA. Can't live without my NFL. And uh, I can't live without my music. If I had a choice between television and music, I would choose music. So I can't live without my Otis Redding. I can't live without my Rock Cam. I can't live without my Donna Hathaway. I can't live without my Four Tops with Levi Stubbs. I, I, I can't live without... My Diana Ross. I can't live without my Aretha Franklin. I can't live without my Anita Baker. I can't live without my John Coltrane. I can't live without my um, Sonny Rollins. I can't live without any of those guys. So just really briefly, I'm going to uh, just say that uh, the Rolling Stones, hey, look, man, when they're talking about the top 200, they have Mariah Carey in the top five. Are you out of your fucking mind? I can understand Whitney Houston. Not a huge Whitney Houston, Whitney Houston fan, but the woman could blow in more ways than one when you're speaking about blow. But the woman could sing, no, no doubt about it. And an all-time great, no doubt about it. And look, and I know when you're putting this stuff together, you, you can't have 200 guys. First of all, you can't have 200 people all from before 1975. So I get it. And how these, how these lists are made, I don't know. But uh, I can't get too mad at them because they have Otis Redding in the top 10, which is understandable. They have Stevie Wonder. They have Aretha Franklin, number one. Spoiler alert. They have Aretha Franklin, number one. I remember talking to this girl when I was working at school, and I was uh, trying to turn her on to Aretha Franklin, right? Freshman in high school up there in Mesquite, and she was like, and I was like, man, Aretha, unbelievable, this, that, and the other. She had a sister who was a senior, and she sang. Very good singer. And I said, man, you know what? Your sister, because they didn't know anything about Aretha Franklin, of course. I mean, the environment, of course. So I was like, man, I'm you know, doing my job to introduce them to uh, something new, something they haven't heard before. Backstory, educating, that type of thing. Diversity, that type of thing. And I said, man, you know what? Your sister needs to listen to this. I mean, just as far as inspiration, this, that, and the other. And this girl had the nerve to tell me. Now, she's, she's a freshman, and she's... She's she's living in a you know she's living in an environment where you know it's not 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 that too diverse you know when you're 14 you know we all say silly things. She was playing Aretha, playing Aretha to her, 
I think I was playing Dark End of the Street too. Oof. I was playing Dark End of the Street, which if, if, if you don't get goosebumps when you hear the last minute or a minute and a half of that song when she gets into it, when she gets soulful, you not only don't have a soul, you don't have a brain, my man. You don't have ears. You don't have something. So I was playing that and I was like, boy, you know, this part right here for your sister, you're talking about soul, you're talking about bringing, taking it to another level, this, that, and the other. The girl looked at me with a straight face and said, my sister is just as good as her. Now, I, 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 I understand youth and I understand the silliness of youth. I understand the, the, the ignorance of youth because we were, when we we're 14, we we're all ignorant. I was ignorant. I was super ignorant back when I was there raised. So this is not a put down or this is not a, 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 Situation where I mean, in, in the in the whole in the whole deal of life, I mean, fourteen year olds aren't supposed to be, you know, this any other. I get it, but I wasn't going to let that slide, man. I wasn't going to let talk, someone talk about Aretha like that. My sister is just as good as Aretha Franklin, man. I was like, all right, excuse me, do you mind? Uh, could you take my gloves off, please? Because uh, Mr. Wallace is going to go to town, and uh, sorry if I hurt your feelings, but uh, no, uh, uh-uh. you 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 can't walk around. You can't walk around in society saying stupid stuff like that. Like, like my sister is better than Aretha Franklin. That, that, that would be like me walking around the streets talking about, yeah, Larry Bird. Oh, yeah, I'm better than him. <laughs> you know, back when I was in school, back in the back in the 80s, when Larry and Magic were doing their thing, and I would be walking around talking about, oh, yeah, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird. Yeah, I'm just as good as them. No, you're not. No, you're not. If, if I would have said that, someone would have slapped the shit out of me, and I would have deserved it. Someone needs to educate that girl talking about you, 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 your, your sister. Ain't nobody in the history of music is better than Aretha Franklin. So let's say your sister's better than her. That's, that's just, that's, that, that's not loyalty. That's pure stupidity and just not knowing. That's just not knowing. But the 14, what could you say, man? What could you say? Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad. <laughs> yeah, I really miss those days, huh? Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. All right. I want to speak about, um, Damar Hamlin, and uh, the the update is uh, fantastic, and I guess now we're back to enjoying the game and celebrating Damar Hamlin in the greatest way possible, because he's alive, and he's able to witness and appreciate all the love people have for him, and I think that's awesome, man. I've always told people this: Hey, look, man, if you can't tell me, if you don't have, if you if you, if you can't tell me how great I am, or in terms of what I mean to you, or you know, you don't have kind, loving words about me when I'm a human being. Man, don't say that shit when I'm dead. Because I'm dead. I won't know. I won't be hearing it. I'm dead. So don't be sitting up at the... Don't be coming there talking about, uh, you know, oh, Wendell was this and Wendell was that. And wonderful, Wendell, was, Wendell was such a wonderful guy and blah, blah, blah. And I don't want any faith posts. I don't want any media posts. I don't want nothing. If you can't say it to me when I'm living, don't, don't talk about me in, in great terms when I'm dead. So, you know, I won't be having time to be listening to what y'all are saying at my funeral. Oh, Wendell was so wonderful, and he was such a great guy, and he was so loving, and he was so caring. I ain't going to be hearing a word of it, because I'll be in heaven. I'll be in the heavenly kingdom. If I'm lucky enough to pass through the gates, I'm going to be reuniting with my parents. I'll be able to meet my grandparents and my other family members, grandparents, all four of them for the first time. I want to see my dog Perky, the one who I lost when I was 18 and still has an effect on me. I want to catch up with some of my Trump childhood friends who have passed on. I'm going to get up there and, you know, hang out with my man Cliff Glover and and and, and no balling uh, and, and no balling Hayden Witter and uh, Stu Levy. You know, I'm going to be up there doing, my, I'm going to be doing my podcast in heaven. I'm going to be doing my podcast for eternity. I don't give a damn who listens. 
So I'm going to be doing my podcast. I'm going to be speaking about the heavyweight, the heavenly heavyweight championship fights between Muhammad Ali and Joe Lewis and Jack Johnson and Rocky Marciano, Jack Dempsey and Joe Frazier. I'm going to be talking about the championship fights up in heaven between Sugar Ray Robinson and Marvin Hagler, Salvador Sanchez versus Willie Pep, Stanley Ketchell versus Alexis Arguello. Man, I'm going to be speaking on and on about the heavenly basketball association, the HBA, we're just speaking about Bill Russell versus Will Chamberlain, Moses Malone versus George Mikan, Wes Unsell versus Daryl Dawkins, Lem Bias versus Hank Gathers, Elgin Baylor versus Kobe Bryant. I'm going to be speaking about the Heavenly Baseball League. Then I'm going to be doing podcasts and shows about the games between Babe Ruth and Hank Aaron and Honus Wagner and Cy Young and Walter Johnson and Stan the Man Musial and Roberto Clemente and Josh Gibson and Satchel Paige. I'm going to be, you know, talking about the HFL, the Heavenly Football League, where, you know, I'm going to have the privilege to watch Walter Payton, Reggie White, Johnny United, Gail Sayers, Sammy Ball, Deacon Jones, Don Hudson, Dick Knight, Train Lane. Man, going to be able to talk about the coaching decisions of Vince Lombardi and Paul Brown and Dennis Green and Hank Stram. Man, this is going to be some good stuff, man. I mean, I'm not ready to go to heaven just yet, but woo, by the time I get there, whether it be five minutes from now or five decades from now, man, if I'm lucky enough, man, I better be start becoming a much better human being because I want to make sure that I get myself into heaven. I want to make sure that I want to live through eternity as far as being just like, you know, being able to uh, go to a concert with Otis Redding, starring Otis Redding and Sam Cooke and Donnie Hathaway and Curtis Mayfield and Marvin Gaye and Ray Charles, the Four Tops, Aretha Franklin, Luther Vandross. Man, I want to go to watch Big L, Lamont Coleman, Heavy D, Biz Marquis, Guru of Gangstar, Notorious B.I.G. I want to go listen to a concert starring Chopin, Beethoven, Schubert, Mozart. Man! I want to be watching movies starring Humphrey Bogart, Sidney Poitier, Spencer Tracy, Basil Rothbaum, Audrey Hepburn. Man, I'm, okay, let me just, you know, I don't want to give the impression that I, I, I can't wait to die. Hey, man, as long as the Lord has me around, I'm going to enjoy every minute that I have on earth. But, yeah, man, heaven is uh, heaven's going to be something else. My podcast, if you think my podcast is long now and I've got eternity to do a podcast, it might even, I'm, I might try for that. I might try to do an eternity podcast. You know, there's many people who are sitting there going, yeah, you, you try pretty hard when you're on Earth, as long as these podcasts are. Jeez, Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So getting back to DeMar Hamlin, according to CNN, he's expected to be released from the hospital in the coming days. He has been shown, uh, Hamlin has shown continued progress with his recovery and expects to be released from the Cincinnati University of Cincinnati Medical Center in the coming days, which he did. Then he went to Buffalo for a little bit, was in there. And I think now that he's going to be going home, thank goodness, thank God, thank everybody for that. When Hamlin is discharged from the hospital, he will immediately return to Buffalo, New York. As Kay Hamlin announced on Twitter that he is selling shirts with the message, Did We Win? This was a reference, the Did We Win reference is to... Um, uh, you know, a situation where when he first came to, that was the first question that he asked. Did we win the uh, football game? So um, Hamlin tweeted on Sunday that, uh, or let's pass Sunday, that we all want, I want to give back an ounce of the love y'all showed me. Proceeds of this shirt will go to first responders of the UC Trauma Center. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. God bless him. And like I said, it's wonderful. 
it's awesome that he has an opportunity to see how much people loved him, to see how much people, how many people were caring for him, to see that man in a world where I'm just about as cynical as they come when we speak about the world and we speak about human beings. Um, it's great to show that one man, and this wasn't this wasn't Tom Brady, you know, this wasn't some well-known uh, sports superstar. This is somebody who most of those who even followed the game of football probably knew nothing about until this happened. And to show so much love and to show so much concern and to show so much support for this guy, it's amazing. It's awesome. I can actually say in this very moment that man, human, uh, that, that mankind, they're all right. Mankind is all right. But then again, I saw, you know, Kevin McCarthy being, what, uh, elected a speaker of the house. And I said, oh, back to normal. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So, talked about DeMar Hamlin. So, the regular season is now over. And now I feel the comfortability. He's going to be okay. This, that, and the other. We won't forget him. So, now I can go back and start talking about the NFL. The regular season is over. The journey and the story of the regular season is over. And I've always asked you, and I've always mentioned, and I've always wanted to bring up the fact that, hey, man, you know, this is such a journey. This is such an interesting ride that we take when we're watching these NFL games from week to week to week. Some of us watch half the games. Some of us watch only our favorite team or the team that we grew up with or our hometown team. Some of us have direct TVs, uh, you know, you can see all the football games, this, that, and the other. And they just try to uh, see every football game that they can. Some are just so addicted, they have the red zone. And then on Tuesdays in the NFL Network, they got to watch the replays and all this type of stuff. Whatever your journey, whatever your relationship is with the game of football, how was this season? How did this play out for you, man? It was crazy, man. It was crazy. In the NFL, it always is. It's always unpredictable. And for a 16, 17, 17 uh, season, in terms of 18 weeks, 17 games, man, the unpredictability is just always off the charts when it comes to the NFL. What did I tell you, man? What did I tell you at the beginning of the season? There's always going to be a team that we have no idea was going to be as good as they were going to be. Always surprised. We, we have... At the beginning of the season, we always have a team that we expect is going to go 3-14 and 14 or 4-13 and 13 or some nonsense like that. That's either going to make the playoffs or come close to making the playoffs. Who, who would have thought the Detroit Lions would probably be the best team not playing in the playoffs this season? Who would have thought that? Who would have thought that probably the Detroit Lions, in terms of the best teams, probably is better than the Seattle Seahawks? Possibly better than the Minnesota Vikings, who are the number three seed in the NFC. Who, who would have thought that at the beginning of the year? Who would have thought after three-fourths of the season being done that the Jacksonville Jaguars would be in the NFL playoffs? Who would have thought that the New York Giants would have been in the NFL playoffs? Not just when the season started, but at different points during the season. When they had that three-game losing streak, you, me, and everybody else included said, ah, fuck it, they're done. When the, when the Detroit Lions were, what, 1-5 and 1-6, and, 
did anybody sit there and go, oh yeah, they're about to go on this long winning streak? When the Jacksonville Jaguars were four and eight, when the Tennessee Titans were like four or five games ahead of everybody else in the AFC South, did we ever see something like this as far as Jacks, uh, as far as Tennessee collapsing like they did? The NFL man, the journey is unbelievable. So now we have this totality of the season. Winners, division winners of the AFC, Kansas City, we saw that. Buffalo, we saw that. Cincinnati, we saw that. Jacksonville, we didn't see that. Division winners in the NFC, we have Philadelphia, many people saw that. San Francisco, people saw that. Minnesota, many people were picking uh, Green Bay to win that division. And then Tampa Bay, we didn't see Tampa Bay being 8-9. and nine. We didn't see Tampa Bay being in the playoffs, but really not deserving to be in the playoffs. You take a look at the wildcard teams in the AFC. The Los Angeles Chargers, we saw that. The Baltimore Ravens, we saw that. Did we see the Miami Dolphins having a shot when the season started to make the playoffs? I don't know. I don't know. In the West, in the um, wildcard teams in the NFC, the Dallas Cowboys, we saw that. We didn't see the New York Giants, and we didn't see the Seattle Seahawks. When Seattle made that trade with Denver, trading Russell Wilson, it was like a situation where it was like they're tanking. They're giving up on the season. They just traded their their franchise quarterback. Did anybody think the New York Giants would be in the playoffs when the season started? So let's take a look at the first round of the playoffs, shall we? Saturday's games, we have San Francisco at Seattle. That game is going to be at 4.30 Eastern Standard Time on Fox. The late game on Saturday is going to be the L.A. Chargers at the Jacksonville Jaguars, 8.15 p.m. on NBC. Sunday's games, we have a triple header starting off at 1 p.m., between the Miami Dolphins and Buffalo Bills, 1 o'clock at, uh, on CBS. The New York Giants at Minnesota, 4.30 on Fox. The Baltimore Ravens versus the Cincinnati Bengals, 8 o'clock on NBC. And then Monday Night Football on ESPN, ABC. The wild card game, the most intriguing, interesting game of the playoff matchup between the Dallas Cowboys and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So before we get into this, I'll, I'll, I'll table this till the next segment, the last segment of the program. How did we get here? Exactly. Because remember, I, I, I enjoy the journey. I love looking back on the journey, man. I like looking back and saying, okay, the top 10 teams at the start of the season, if you take a look at the uh, NFL.com rankings, you had Buffalo as the number one ranked team. You had the defending champion Los Angeles Rams, you had the San Francisco 49ers, Tampa Bay was number four, Cincinnati number five, the Green Bay Packers, number six, Kansas City number seven, Denver, Denver was ranked number eight when the season started as far as the top teams in the NFL, the Chargers number nine, Baltimore number 10, some of the other teams of interest, the Raiders were number 11, the Indianapolis Colts were ranked number 12 and they had their coach Frank Wright still with them. Philadelphia, the best record in the league, or at least in the NFC, they were number 14. They were ranked 14th. Dallas, 15th. Miami, 19th. Minnesota, 20th. Seattle, 24th. The New York Giants, 28th. Jacksonville was 29th. Ranked 29 out of 30-something teams in the NFL when the season started. There is no way, again, you could tell me that, oh, yeah, I saw this from Jacksonville. No way. After the first month of the season, Philadelphia, top 10 teams, they had beat uh, they had beat 
Detroit 38-35, no big deal. Then started to open up some eyes a little bit after they beat my Washington Commanders 24-8 and beat Minnesota handily on Monday Night Football. You had Buffalo starting off with an impressive win against the Los Angeles Rams where it was like, "Uh uh-oh, all the preseason expectations about what Buffalo is going to do is going to come to fruition until week three where they lost to the Miami Dolphins playing in like 115 degree weather. Because of that victory over Buffalo, all of a sudden now the Dolphins or yeah, Buffalo losing to Miami. The the Dolphins were three and zero and considered legitimate after beating the Bills. Green Bay was two and one and still ranked number four after losing in, uh, 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 after losing their first game. Kansas City was two and one, losing in overtime to Indianapolis, snatching the. Uh, snatching uh, defeat from the jaws of victory. The Rams were still ranked number six after beating Atlanta and Arizona after losing their opening game against the uh, Buffalo Bills at home. The other top 10 teams, Baltimore, Tampa Bay, Minnesota, Cincinnati, other teams, the Jets were ranked number 31. Seattle was ranked 28th. The Giants were 22. Jacksonville, number 18. Dallas, number 13. Detroit and Tennessee, uh, and uh, Tennessee was number 12th. Uh huh. Halfway through the season, you still had Buffalo, you still had uh, Philadelphia, you still had Kansas City, you still had Dallas, you still had San Francisco, Baltimore, Minnesota. Guess who was one of the top ten teams in November with a five and two record? The Tennessee Titans. Guess where Jacksonville was? They were twenty six. I'm sorry, they were two and six and ranked number thirtieth. Detroit was one and six and they were ranked thirty first. This was in November. God damn, I love the journey of the NFL. I love this bullshit, man. I love this nonsense. Tampa was three and five and ranked number and ranked twentieth. They had lost for the fifth time in six weeks, losing a Thursday night football game to the Baltimore Ravens after giving up two hundred yards rushing in the second half, and Tom Brady playing the worst of his career. And we thought to ourselves, "Uh oh, this team, as far as Tampa Bay is concerned, they ain't Super Bowl contenders." Green Bay was three and five and it ranked and were ranked nineteenth and we said, Okay, when are they gonna start playing Jordan Love? Because there's no way this season's gonna be over for the Packers. They're done, this, that, and the other. When do we say those type of things? This was in November. This was the beginning of November. This was halfway through the season. The Rams were ranked number fourteen and had a three or four record. They lost thirty one to fourteen to San Francisco the, the week that San Francisco acquired Christian McCaffrey. And by the way, Carolina was in tank mode, and we see where they ended up near the end of the season. God damn, I love the NFL. Lord have mercy, I love the NFL. My goodness gracious, do I love the NFL. This is the reason why. Week 14, how many times did I tell you, man? When you come to the first four, six, eight weeks of the season, no matter what your team is, unless you are playing fantasy football, unless you have over-under on the season, if you're just a fan of the game, enjoy it. Even if you're a fan of a team, enjoy it. Because for the most part, you never know what happens in week four, what happens in week six, what happens in week eight. You never know, man. There's no totality. There's no like finality toward this. You know, halfway through a baseball season, we know a team's going to stink. Halfway through an NBA season, we know a team is going to stink. Football, we don't know. Football, we just don't know. Week 14. The Giants were 7-4-1 and ranked 14th. The Detroit Lions were 5-7 and ranked 17th. The Packers were 5-7 and and ranked 21st. Jacksonville was 4-8 and and ranked 24th. We don't know, man. 
We just don't know. That's what makes the journey, this in, this uh, NFL season, so spectacular. That's what makes it so fun. That's what makes it so exciting, man. It's just this. It's just that. The twists and the turns. And yeah, injury plays a role in all these type of things. And yeah, does Jacksonville make the playoff? And Ryan Tannehill for the Tennessee Titans doesn't get hurt? I don't know, man. They have to go in there and start playing Malik Willis? I don't know. Who knows? But who would have thunk 12, 13 games into the season that, that, that the Jacksonville Jaguars were going to win that division? Not anybody in Duval County or a small minority of folks in Duval County would have believed that. The NFL is something else, man. And when you're speaking about the season, you're speaking about starting off with the season, you're speaking about the MVPs, you speak about which teams are going to be doing great in the ebbs and the flows, and we speak about Josh Allen coming into the season as the MVP uh, candidate. No one had Jalen Hurts. Nobody had Jalen Hurts. Not anybody had Jalen Hurts. We had Patrick Mahomes, we had Josh Allen, and others. No one had Jalen Hurts. My goodness gracious, this game is something else, right? And now we're going into the playoffs with Philadelphia. The shoulder of Jalen Hurts, how strong is it? How, um, how, how, what percentage is Jalen Hurts going now into the playoffs? Now all of a sudden, the guy who was drafted to be Carson Wentz's backup now is one of the most important players going into these playoffs. The impact, the responsibility that he has. The Baltimore Ravens now with Lamar Jackson. What is that going to be about? What is that going to entail? What is that game against Cincinnati? How is that going to work? You know, the NFL is something else. So it was a journey this season, man. It was it was fun. It was exciting. It was never dull. Filled with controversies. Filled with outrage. How 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 many times on Mondays or how many times when you saw um, when you saw your coworkers were you speaking about another blown roughing the penalty call right? And in one season, we go from, I can't believe it, roughing the penalty, these, the, the roughing the quarterback, and this, that, and the other. We go from that to a man almost dying on the field and our attention shifting from one side to the other, one end of the spectrum to another. The NFL is something else, man. I love my NBA. I love my Halle Berry. I love my Layla Roshan. I love my Monica Bellucci. I love my Selma Hayek. But boy, do I love me some NFL. Do I love me some Jada Fire? Do I love me some NFL, man? It is something else. It is something else. So the regular season is over. The playoffs are now beginning. I got one more segment left in me, right? Y'all want to listen to me uh, do my thing for one more seg- segment? I said I can't hear you. Do y'all want me to do one more segment, do my thing for one more segment? Let me hear you. All right, then. We'll be back, and I'll do my thing. Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports.
last segment of the podcast, last segment of the program, Grover Washington Jr., get on down a little bit, get on down, that's another guy I want to see if I can make it to heaven, my man Grover Washington Jr., little John Coltrane, can't wait to listen to the debates between Medgar Evers and Malcolm X and Abraham Lincoln and Martin Luther King, maybe hopefully that those guys have uh, straightened out and uh, uh, really shown George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and other delights when it comes to black folks. Love to hear the discussions between Gandhi and uh, MLK and um, James Baldwin and Malcolm X and those guys. These these great thinkers cannot wait. Cannot wait to see what Steve Jobs has uh, got going up there. What new great inventions working with Thomas Edison and Benjamin Franklin. Man, heaven is going to be something else. I mean, if there's a heaven, then A, I want to go there. B, if I want to go there, I better start being a better person. And C, man, I could stay there forever. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host. And be with my, uh, reunite with my uh, with my parents and my and my grandparents and all that kind of stuff. And, and those guys and my homeboys and homegirls and all this kind of stuff. Woo, yeah, man, that's what I'm talking about. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Okay, so we've got the um, playoffs I mentioned before. Breaking them down. Look, man, we've got um, the uh, Seahawks in San Francisco. This is going to be this Tristan McCaffrey show. Um, you know, Brock Purdy doing what he is doing. A complimentary piece. The defense for uh, San Francisco, a little bit shaky against the uh, Las Vegas Raiders. But still, when you have that running game and you have that defense, I'm going to uh, go on the uh, premise that, you know, Jared Stidham and the Raiders had a really good game. These uh, 49ers defense had an off game that one week given up so many points before winning in overtime but uh, Purdy just seemed to be passing every test that's thrown out to them to him now now I still think that's going to be the albatross when it comes to San Francisco really winning a championship because again there's going to come a time where he's going to have to go up against one of these elite quarterbacks and can he do that can that defense hold up can the offense score enough points if that other offense that they're playing against is going to be uh, potent a great offense always beats a great defense now in the in the uh, NFC you're not going to have a Patrick Mahomes you're not going to have a Justin Herbert you're not going to have a Joe Burrow you're not going to have a Josh Allen type of quarterback that could exploit uh, a weakness or a off night or an off game from San Francisco. But um, still, you're taking a look at um, these games. You're taking a look at the NFC. Um, I think that while the running game could propel and that defense could propel the 49ers to uh, winning the NFC championship, I I just still think it's going to come down to um, a team um, that has a more experienced quarterback getting the job done over at San Francisco. And when you take a look at that team and then you take a look at the quarterback position, is it going to be the Philadelphia Eagles? How much now do you still believe that it's going to be the Philadelphia Eagles with Jalen Hurts? How, how, how much are you now believing that Jalen Hurts can take what he did in the regular season and then translate that into the uh, playoffs and doing it less, far less than 100%? Because he's, he's still in show-me mode. Yeah, he had a great regular season. Yeah, he had MVP consideration. Yeah, he might have even been the front-runner until he got injured. But but this is a situation now that we've never seen him before. We, we, we've never seen him in this situation before. How is he going to perform? That's the next test. He's not that much different in that aspect than Brock Purdy, right? 
because we saw what Brock Purdy did, you know, in terms of the uh, winning streak that the uh, 49ers are on and the winning streak that Purdy has been the uh, quarterback. We've seen games where he's had to put up points and he's done that. We've seen games where it's been a defensive struggle. We've seen games where he's played against tough defenses. We've seen all those games. And so far, he's passed them. But he's passed them without being the one test of him being the main reason why the 49ers won that game. Is Purdy going to be put into that situation during these playoffs? And if he is, can he get it done? I'm quite sure these defenses are going to do everything humanly possible to uh, stop Christian McCaffrey in that running game from San Francisco. So how does Kyle Shanahan scheme up enough plays for Brock Purdy to um, to uh, have the 49ers become victorious, get Debu Samuels out and, and Brandy Dayuk and, and George Kittle and those guys make enough plays for uh, a team that's going to be crowding the box and, and having Brock Purdy beat them. Can Brock Purdy do that? Now, again, to a lesser degree, that's the same thing with uh, Jalen Hurts. Now, Jalen Hurts, unlike Brock Purdy or Brock Purdy, uh, Jalen Hurts can beat you with his legs as well as his arm. I, I think it's almost a 50-50 proposition when you're saying, you know, what is more potent in terms of Jalen Hurts, of him being a quarterback? Is his is, is it his mobility? Is it his ability to run out of the pocket and make things happen with his legs? Or is it a situation where he's going to have to maybe be a, a classic pocket-type uh, quarterback? And we're not just talking about from a single game. We're talking about in a game that means something in the fourth quarter. Can... Jalen Hurts put together a drive that could win a championship, that could win a playoff game in the fourth quarter as a classic pocket quarterback to where there aren't going to be any avenues to make big plays with his legs. Does he have that in him? Does he have the ability to do that? We will find out during this playoff season. And again, how much is that injury to his shoulder going to hamper him from doing those type of things. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us, the San Diego, excuse me, the Los Angeles Chargers, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Think that this is a situation where you take a look at the defense, you take a look at how Jacksonville's playing, you can sit there and say, yeah, if it wasn't for a muff by Josh Joshua Dobbs, a guy that was called off the Detroit Lions practice squad only a couple of weeks ago, that Tennessee still would have had still would have uh, made the playoffs if it wasn't for a fluke fumble scoop return for a touchdown in that game at home against Tennessee for Jacksonville. I'm going to be more intrigued to see the two quarterbacks who are probably going to be the future of the league when this league hits the season 2028 and 2029. And presumably, we're going to see Tom Brady retire. We're going to see Aaron Rodgers retire. You know, the Mannings are already out the door. Drew Brees is already out the door. Ben Roethlisberger is already out the door. And we're going to be taking a look to see these young bucks. Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, they're still going to be ruling the league. But who else is going to be with those guys as far as being those franchise quarterback that will have the ability to take a team and lead them to a championship? Two of the favorites, I think, are 23-year-old Trevor Lawrence and 24-year-old Justin Herbert or 23-year-old Justin Herbert, one of those two, young Justin Herbert. So this is going to be a game where, you know, the Chargers, the Jaguars, moving forward, both teams, these playoffs, I think it's going to be more of gaining more experience for these quarterbacks more than anything else in the direction of what, uh, where this, these teams are going to go to, to build. 
Now, I thought that Jacksonville should have maybe traded their picks last season, maybe gone for one of the Ohio State wide receivers or gone for one of the Alabama wide receivers because if you're going to be building this team around the offense and around um, Trevor Lawrence, who is supposed to be a generational great talent, that's the direction you go. You, you, you go more toward building the offense than you do defense. They selected Trayvon Walker, the edge rusher out of Georgia, who's had a very good uh, rookie year for the Jaguars. And, you know, hey, they paid dividends, right? They made the uh, playoffs. Situation where I think this could be a, a deal where, look, acquisition of Christian Kirk to be that number one wide receiver. Good job. Travis ATM uh, showing versatility out the backfield for Jacksonville. That's nice. Young squad, but where, what direction are we going to turn to in terms of developing this team and what side of the football are we going to be focusing on the most when we have a guy in Trevor Lawrence who, again, is looking, is projecting, has the possibility, has the potential, has the talent to be that franchise quarterback. And the same thing with the Los Angeles Chargers, who are a talented team on both sides of the football if you think about the defensive line with Joey Bosa, if he can stay in, if he can stay injury free, along with uh, Derwin James, and you speak about Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, even though he's going to miss the game because he was injured the uh, last game of the season, and you take a look at uh, the running backs, and you take a look at the skill positions for the Chargers. You know, this is all going to be, again, centered on Justin Herbert and how he's going to do in these games. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us speaking about what is happening, what is going down in the NFL playoffs. Buffalo and Miami, Tua is going to be out. That means that the chances for the Miami Dolphins are going to be out. It'll be interesting to see how much of a play of DeMar Hamlin, I don't know if he's going to be at the game or I don't know if they're going to be showing him over the big screen or whatever. And we speak about showing DeMar Hamlin as such is going to be such a boost, such a motivational lift for the Buffalo Bills because he played for the Bills and he has uh, a stronger relationship with his teammates, of course. But why wouldn't it also be uh, motivation for the Miami Dolphins to say, hey, look, man, you're alive, man. I mean, you're one of the brothers. This is the brotherhood here. And one of our brothers, even though he might play for another team, almost died on the football field. Our, our greatest fear when we walk out on that football field to ultimately not come back. I mean, that was almost you. And to see you here or to see that you're doing well and doing all these things, wouldn't it also give the Miami Dolphins a, a jolt? Motivations Again, maybe not as much at the Buffalo Bills because of the intimacy of the relationship that the Bills have with their teammate uh, compared to the Dolphins. But still, I, I would think that would also help the Dolphins. I don't know how much of that play is going to go into things, win or lose. I don't know what type of storyline or play that you can get from that. But uh, I think the Bills are going to roll and I think the Bills are going to win. The Giants at Minnesota. This could be a situation where I don't know what Minnesota team is going to show up. And you also have to remember that the Giants played the Vikings only a few weeks ago and were beaten by a 61-yard field goal. So you take a look at Saquon Barkley. You take a look at uh, Daniel Jones, the season that they had. On the other side, you take a look at Kirk Cousins and you take a look at Jefferson. You take a look at these guys. The, the, The Vikings should win. But this is a team that mostly wins by one score games. And that's got to be correct. I think they're like, what, 11-0 in one-score games this season? 
uh, pretty soon that, that, that luck is going to have to run out. I think this is one of the plays in terms of a possible upset. I'm not calling for the upset, but in the first round, if you're looking for a squad to go down that was of a higher seed, a much higher seed, I think it's going to be the uh, Vikings losing to the uh, New York Giants. Baltimore, Cincinnati, again, without Lamar Jackson or even even a uh, severely uh, enabled Lamar Jackson, if he does play, play, I think Joe Burrow and those guys are on a mission, they win. And then all of this nonsense about Dallas and Tampa Bay. Cowboys 0-7 against Tom Brady includes a week loss. A week one loss to uh, Tampa Bay, nineteen to three. That's the that was the game that uh, Prescott broke a thumb and Cooper Rush came in there and people were talking about McCarthy being fired and all this kind of nonsense. And there's still that um, notion. There's still that play. There's still that storyline. There's still uh, that discussion. What happens if the Cowboys lose to the uh, Buccaneers? I, I I think it would be a time where it, you would have to say goodbye to Mike McCarthy and. Really, I'm going to be interested to see what Dak Prescott shows up to the game. Is it going to be the one that uh, played against uh, Philadelphia, or is it going to be the one that played against that played against the Washington, my Washington Commanders? Fifteen interceptions. He's played only twelve games so far this season. For a man making forty million dollars, it's time to step up again. The playoffs are a much different breed a much different animal a much different person than the regular season so how much stock am i going to take into some of the poor performances that Dak has had during the regular season i mean games from week three four five six seven eight come on man we're speaking about games a couple of months ago now if there's a pattern that continues then yeah i think it would be valid to talk about it but you know i i'm not going to uh get in there with prescott um this is a game where they should win. Tampa Bay, for the most part, has no business being in this uh, game or being in a playoff game, let alone hosting it. But I think that um, this is a situation where, hey, man, we could either be looking at some major, major changes happening with the Dallas Cowboys, i.e. a new coach, or this could be the last game of Tom Brady's career. So just based on that, you should want to uh, snuggle up with your uh, with your husband or your boyfriend or your wife or your girlfriend or your mistress or whatever or your, your side piece or whatever and go ahead and watch this game because it's going to be quite, quite interesting. All right, I'm done yapping. I am done talking. I am doing this on a Wednesday night. I'm going to get back to Tuesdays very, very soon, like next week, I promise. But uh, yeah, I want to thank you very much for listening to the podcast. As always, like, subscribe, download, do all those good things. Let's keep this podcast rolling in the year 2023, shall we? If we could do that, that would be great. Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World of Sports. If you would please get me out of here with some music. <laughs>